get the message of, if the youth of India at all want to hear it, this is the message, chant Hare Krishna, engaging devotional service. In fact, this is our message to everyone, not just the youth of India, not to, to the youth of the world, to old, young, whatever you may be, educated, non-educated, male, female, whatever. Chant Hare Krishna. Take to Krishna consciousness. Of course, we are in India, we are in India now. And mostly youth are present, so we can couch our message in these terms that this is specifically for the youth of India. But actually it's for everybody. The message is for everybody. But the youth of India are a specific subgroup among the various groups of people on this planet. And this particular every group of people has their have their own inclinations designations, aspirations. So therefore we can couch this message, chant Hare Krishna, in terms of the aspirations of the youth of India. What are the aspirations of the youth of India? Well, the aspirations of everybody everywhere is to be happy. Does everyone here want to be happy? Anyone here that doesn't want to be happy? Anyone here? Anyone who doesn't want to be happy, then we can take you outside and hit you on the head with a stick. <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to know how not to be happy. That can be arranged for very easily. But to know how to be happy, that is the big question. Actually, most people are stupid. They don't even ask the question. They just presume whatever garbage they show on TV, this is the way to be happy, or whatever, whatever nonsense we're taught in the schools and from childhood, we presume this must be right. We presume because on the TV they show drinking, co I don't know what they show on TV, I'm, luckily by Prabhupada's grace I'm, I can say I may be a fool but I have enough intelligence not to watch that damn idiot box. So I don't exactly know what goes on TV. But uh, presumably they show different advertisements which advertise you brush your teeth with this, you will be happy, you drink this Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola. Drink Coca-Cola will make you more happy than Pepsi-Cola. And, and Pepsi-Cola, they have the advertisement, drink Pepsi-Cola will make you more happy than Coca-Cola. But actually neither of them make you happy. It's just a bluff. The whole society from beginning to end is just a big bluff that you should wear jeans and this, wear this kind of clothes and you will be happy. It's all a bluff. None of it makes you happy. Be a success, get a good job. It's all just a big bluff. There's no success. You should be a success. What is the success? That you simply do some... Being a success, they've bluffed you that you will be a success by getting a job in which you do some work, which they say you should enjoy your job, but no. Where is the enjoyment? You know, they say, I, I enjoy my work. But then if they do enjoy, do you enjoy it so much that if they don't pay you, you'll still do it? I enjoy it. My work is so wonderful. I enjoy it so much. Oh, really? Your boss gets to hear. You're enjoying your work. That's good. So from tomorrow, I'm not going to pay you. You just do it. Just do it for pleasure. It's such fun. It's such fun going to the office and slaving like a, like a, 
complete moron morning and night and just to increase the sales of our company. You know, I, I, I love our company so much that I just like to work for the company. When you're working for money, why? Because if you, you think, if I get the money, then I can buy more things. As if buying more things will make you happy. In my home I have. Anyway, I'm living in, a, in an exclusive area. I'm earning so much money. I, I don't go to work in a Maruti car. I go to work in a Cielo car. And not only do we have one 28-inch TV, but we have two. One for me, one for my wife. Because I like some programs and she likes others. And with the kids coming, we'll have to get three or four because they all like different programs. So we have enough money. We buy so many things. And the wife is sitting in one room watching one thing and I'm sitting in another room watching another thing. And we're not happy. It's supposed to make us happy. From what we see on TV, all these things should make us happy. But it doesn't make us happy. If you're actually intelligent, they, they measure your intelligence by the degrees you get. What, what educational qualifications you have. So, this is supposed to be a sign of intelligence. But actually, I don't see many intelligent people. I see many people with in educational qualifications, but I don't see many intelligent people. It means they have some intelligence. You have to have some intelligence to get those educational qualifications stuck behind your name. Of course, you can also just pay some money. Everything's possible by money. It doesn't require much intelligence to bribe others. But uh, generally, one has to gain his degree by... Does that happen in India? In Russia, I know you can do that. You can get any degree just by paying for it. You, don't, you can be a complete moron. But if you have money, you can... Of course, usually to have money, you have to have some intelligence also. But you can just buy a degree. Does that still go on in India? Yes, no. You're shaking your head like this. That can mean in Indian culture that means yes, and in Western culture it means no. And nowadays the Indians are following Western culture, so if you shake your head like this, I don't know what it means. <laughs> yes, I, I... No, not much. In some universities you can. In some universities you can, but then the employers, they don't take that university's degrees. They don't accept them. So you have to have some, you have to have some intelligence to get a degree, but that is not awakened intelligence. That means you can... You're trained to amass information in your head and not only put all this information in your head, but also there is some intelligence, one is trained to intelligently analyze that intelligence, to analyze that information. So intelligence, that is required. There are different functions of intelligence. One function is to amass information. Another function of intelligence is to analyze that information. And if one is expert in doing this, then he can become qualified as an engineer or a doctor or whatever. Analyzing means, just like a doctor, they're trained in so many things and then they have to apply that information and analyze it in particular instances. 
So they see, for instance, a certain patient comes to them with a very high fever, and then they get certain tests done, and then they're able to make the analysis that, well, what's the analysis? Every time the analysis is, you need an operation. Why? Because I need more money. That is the conclusion. Very intelligent. Uh, the, generally we see every time you go to a doctor, you should be hospitalized. You have jaundice, you should be hospitalized. What will be the value of hospitalization? From the patient's point of view, no value whatsoever because hospitalization will not help jaundice, but it will help the doctor to build a new hospital in which he can get, put more people into the hospital and make more money. So the doctor is very intelligent and the patient, he's not so intelligent because he's simply throwing his money at the doctor. So by his more intelligence he takes advantage of the patients who don't know. Hospitalization won't help me. So the intelligence is there, but real intelligence means to go to the most subtle point. The doctor is considered very intelligent because he's making lots of money. He has the, by studying and getting his MD or whatever, he's getting, he's applying his intelligence to make lots of money. But actually the doctor is no more intelligent in the most intrinsic sense of the term than the mazdur who can't even afford to go to a doctor anyway. He's no more intelligent because they have the same aim of life. The mazdur is not considered very intelligent. Although they're also, they have their own intelligence also. Huh? The doctor is cheating people in a big way and the mazdur is cheating people in a small way. So they all have their intelligence. The doctor is considered more intelligent because he's amassed more information by which he's able to cheat people in a, in a more complete manner than the mazdur. But their intelligence is only applied how to get money. That's all. So actually it's not very intelligent. Real intelligence means to think what is the purpose of life. Simply amassing information, getting a job, getting money. This is not very intelligent. It may require much intelligence to get the kind of job that brings you more money. But from the very beginning, you didn't ask the really intelligent question, which is, what is the purpose of this all anyway? The so-called intelligent people, they're not intelligent at all if they don't ask the intelligent question, what is the purpose of life? And, and be intelligent enough to find out how to get the proper answer. Now this question, what is the purpose of life? We're supposed to be speaking about a message to the youth of India. What is the purpose of life? Birth, human birth in India is particularly meant for asking this question and getting the right answer. That is the special advantage of taking birth in India, that in India, traditionally, the solution to this problem what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? That is considered the most important factor in life, traditionally so. Traditionally, 
a person who is advanced in understanding the answer to this question is considered the most exalted person in Indian culture. Now, in modern Indian culture, they have adopted the Western culture in which the most important thing is considered getting money. And one is respected according to his ability to bring money. If one has got lots of money, he is considered a, a success. And if he is poverty-stricken, he is considered a failure. But in traditional Indian culture, the most respected person was a person who deliberately lived a poverty-stricken life so as not to be entangled with all the illusion that comes from having a lot of money. In the Dhanashram system, the Shudra is considered in the lowest category. Shudra is generally not rich. There may be people from the Shudra caste who later became businessmen and so on, but in the pristine Vanashram system, one is considered a Shudra because he has no independent ability to make decisions that are useful for him either materially or spiritually. He depends on others for his income. Or the Inherit, or the, the root meaning of the word shudra, one who always laments, is called a shudra. In the Vaishya, he's krishigo rakshavanijam. He's engaged in directing agriculture, cow protection, and trading. According to the Vedic concept, vanija means trading, but not this big ugra karma nasty businesses, cheating businesses like this Coca-Cola, cheating, beginning to end. It's quite clear. It's simply a cheating business. They've made billions of dollars all over the world and still not there. They're not content. They want to expand their business and sell more than Pepsi, which they do. But it's simply based on advertising on the concept that you will be happy by drinking Coca-Cola, which is a bluff. It's, if anyone is even slightly intelligent, they can understand that it's, uh, it's simply a bluff. There's no happiness in drinking Coca-Cola. But it caters to a foolish society. People are fools. They want happiness, but they're not very, in the modern age especially, people are not very deep thinking. So it's easy to bluff them. And anyone of even slight intelligence can understand there is no happiness to be had from drinking Coca-Cola. But still, they don't like to think deeply. So they see the advertisement. In the advertisement, everyone is smiling, drinking Coca-Cola. And it gives, they give a, an image of youth, energy, and all these different things. In other words, it's fashionable to drink Coca-Cola. So you drink it, and the, hap the so-called happiness, well, there's nothing much in the flavor, or the bubbles, or the sugar. But it's considered fashionable, that so when you're with your friends, you drink Coca-Cola, you see they're drinking Coca-Cola. And it's all part of the projecting an image of yourself as being young and fashionable, which is supposed to make you happy. So this rascal business, that is not the duty of a Vaishya. But in, in traditional Vedic society, the Vaishya, he has some wealth. And to a very limited extent, he may 
take up some Vedic knowledge. So he is considered higher than the Shudra. Then higher is the Kshatri, who is supposed to be very wealthy. He amasses wealth, but he also distributes it in times of need. But then higher than him, you see the Shudra is not very rich. The Shudra is not supposed to even have money. They should not be given wealth, because they will misuse it. They are ignorant. They will be, if a Shudra gets money, then he'll spend it on wine, women, prostitution. Now the whole modern society is made up of Shudras. So you see, people get money from rich families in India. Who are the most degraded, low-class people? According to Vedic estimation, in modern India, it's the children of rich parents who they drive around in cars and go to parties and take, get drunk and then the girls have abortions and so many things. And they're giggling as they're, as they go, and they're laughing and joking as they drive around in their father's cars, which they didn't do any work for, playing music far too loud. And uh, these are the most degraded people, and they're thinking, oh, we're the, we're the great people. We, we go to parties and we enjoy ourselves. Very degraded, foolish, stupid people. But they, they're so puffed up. Oh, my father's so rich. They can do anything they like, and the police, they know they can't touch them. Because that's like that. They, they do all kinds of illegal things. Oh, but my father's so-and-so, and the police, what will they do? They can't do anything. They're foolishly wasting their lives. So they're shudras, actually. They're thinking, oh, I'm so high class because he has so much money and my father's so rich and no one can say anything to him. They're shudras, simply wasting their life for sense gratification. They shouldn't be given money. A shudra means an un a person who needs to be disciplined. Otherwise, they'll spoil their life. So what we see in modern India, the... the, the children of rich men, they're simply spoiling their life. They have money, they, sp they spend it on useless things. They're shudras. So, shudra has no money. They're not given freedom, neither freedom nor money, because they'll misuse it. In Vaishya, they can do some business, they have some money. They're usually wealthy, kshatriyas more so, kings. And on top of them all, brahmana, again, poverty stream. Shudra is poverty-stricken at the bottom. No, actually not poverty-stricken, they are properly looked after. The Brahmana, the Shudras, they may be wearing nice clothes because that's given to them by the higher castes. When they, they perform a yagya in whatever cloth they're wearing, maybe very nice cloth they'll give to the Shudra. But the Brahmana will live very simply, deliberately, because he doesn't want to be entangled in Maya. He doesn't get involved in all this, even in so much in the, even in Vedic culture, which is very high class. Their whole social life is based around religious functions. But even that, the Brahmana, one who is Atmavit, one who is in knowledge of the self, he doesn't get involved in that. He doesn't get in very much involved in all the intricacies of social life, although he may perform social functions for others. But he keeps himself deliberately far because he wants to cultivate spiritual knowledge. 
So traditionally in Indian culture, the most respected person was the person who was rich with spiritual knowledge. It's most respected. One who can give spiritual guidance to others. Traditionally in India, a person in knowledge of the absolute truth was considered the most respectable person. Sadhu. Very much respected. Nowadays, sadhus are still respected by some. But there are others, there are many, especially young people, who don't respect sadhus. Now this may be for two reasons. One reason is that the young people, they have no use for sadhus. What we're interested in, sadhu, ah, we have no use for them. There are some film stars who are asadhu. For a film star, the more asad they are, the better is their position. The more degraded they are, the more they consider, oh, that's a real film star. The, more, the further away they are from being like a sadhu, they are considered the best quali- qualified to be a film star. And the people are following. So one reason they're not interested in sadhus is because they themselves are interested in becoming as much as possible a sadhu. Another reason that people may not be interested in sadhus is because the sadhus themselves are not sadhu. They are asadhu. They are simply doing sadhu giri. <laughs> Making a show of being a sadhu. We have the small time beggar sadhus who are simply going around, give some money, give some money, simply fulfilling their bell. And we have the more sophisticated asadhu sadhus who speak a whole bunch of nonsense, but it sounds very sophisticated and cheat people. And others who are, oh, they show some magic. They have some mystic powers. So people who are a little intelligent, they can understand, these are all cheaters. What should I have to do with them? So the prestige of sadhus has been compromised by the so-called sadhus. And especially persons in India who are educated in English medium, they are brought up to treat with disdain those who are sadhus. They are brought up to think that, you see, we don't have anything to do with all of this just like if you see this magazine India Today, which I haven't looked up for quite a few years now, but I'm sure it's the same kind of pattern as it used to be. So this is read by several million Indians every week. Now it's in other languages also, and I'm sure in the other in the vernacular language editions it has the same kind of message. But in the English language edition, the whole message in every word and every line implicitly, not explicitly, is that India should be like America. India should not be like India. India should be like America. There should, religion in India, it's simply, a, they don't even discuss. Or if, if they do, in the most negative terms, they, if they do at all discuss religion, it, was, it is from the viewpoint that it's understood that the reader considers religion to be bogus and useless. Only from that outlook will they even discuss religion. It's, it's just accepted that 
anything religious, especially Hinduism, it's completely useless. Christianity may be okay, that comes from the West, so it must be better. But Hinduism, Hinduism, very bad. Fundamentalist, fanatic, the Saffron Brigade, they use all these terms. So those who are brought up with English education, especially the Western press, or the, sorry, the English language press, you might as well call it the Western press. Those who are brought up with English education in India, they're a long way from their forefathers' roots of understanding this culture of understanding the absolute truth. This is the basis of Indian culture, a philosophical inquiry into the absolute truth. This is the basis of Indian culture which nowadays goes on under the name of Hinduism. Hinduism is something else. Hinduism, there actually there are so many bogus things going on. But if we seek what is the essence of Indian culture, that can be summarized in three words. Atato Brahma Jignasa. Now we have attained the human form of life. We should inquire into the absolute truth. This is the real purpose of life. And this is particularly available in Indian culture. In other parts of the world, there are other religious systems. But none even slightly come close to the level of philosophical understanding that is taught in Vedic culture. We understand from this that generally persons born in India do so because of a previous karma by which they already had developed in spiritual understanding. Different people are born in different circumstances according to their karma. So generally one who is born in India does so because in a previous life they had a certain kind of good karma by which they had made some spiritual development. Now you may think that, well if I really had good karma I would have been born in America. That's better karma. Because in America there's more facility for material enjoyment. People have more money. So in one sense that's true. Birth in America is due to a certain kind of punya karma which gives one the opportunity for material enjoyment. That is called Bhugan Mukhi Sukriti. Pious activities which are favorable for enjoying sense gratification, they will allow one to be born as a human being in America, not as a pig or a chicken in America. That's bad karma. Because you'll get stuck in some factory farm and you'll, be, you'll get slaughtered. But if you get born in America, especially in a white body, to be born in a black body in Harlem, in New York, that's not such good karma, even from the enjoyment point of view. But if you're born in a white family, and if you're born in California, 
It's better than Detroit when it's cold. So there are various factors. That may be considered better karma from the point of view of enjoying sense gratification. But the ultimate goal of life is not to enjoy sense gratification. In America there is good facility, better than here in general. But traditionally this land is a land of rishis, and not only rishis, but even among the ordinary people, traditionally people in this land were brought up with an inherent sense of what is in general term, vague term, spirituality. But up until recent times, even the common man understood that whatever situation I'm in, it's because of my karma, and the ultimate goal of life is to understand our spiritual position. And actually even the common man nowadays understands this more than the so-called educated men. Because the educated people, they have all these spiritual inclinations ground out of them. Modern education in India is especially meant for destroying the spiritual sentiments which are inherent in Indian people. It is designed like that. The TV, the India Today, the very educational system in, in social studies or whatever it is. I've seen the school books that these are the foods we eat. We eat vegetables and fruit and grains and meat and fish and eggs. But traditionally people in India, they generally didn't eat, but they're teaching. You eat the eggs, you'll get more protein, then you'll have a bigger and stronger body. Although people were living in India for so many years, most of the people weren't eating meat and eggs and fish. And you'll see many, not so many nowadays, but still you'll see some people brought up in vegetarian families and they're very big and strong and healthy. They never ate meat in their life. But now they're making propaganda, you have to eat meat. Bogus propaganda, cheating propaganda. Because these demons, they, they want to make you into a demon also. Otherwise, the traditional Indian culture is meant for understanding God. It's very strongly focused on that. But in modern Indian culture, they've simply become the slaves of the West. These foolish people, they thought that we will have Indian independence and they celebrate Independence Day. What independence? How is India independent? They, they have this idea that now the British are gone. Now we are independent. But you are mentally and culturally, you are more dependent on the West than you were in 1947. Otherwise, in 1947, Hardly anyone was wearing shirts and pants. Everyone was wearing, the men were wearing dhotis. And even up until recently, the women of India, they had enough shyness that they didn't like to wear tight jeans and t-shirts, which is actually very low class and uncultured. But they're thinking, we should be like this. That means you've become slaves of the West. Your own culture, you've given, you've rejected it. 
Your own culture which is meant for God-realization, you have rejected it to become asses, western-style asses. I am an ass but I speak English, therefore I am a very high-class ass. <laughs> Whatever you do, Hindi mat bala. Don't speak Hindi. Uh, Sanskrit, such the highest cultured language, the very word Sanskrit is intimately linked with Sanskriti. But there's no Sanskriti in modern India. They simply eat meat, get a job, work like an ass, talk like an American, go to hell. That's it. It's not a joke. They're going to hell. Everyone is going to hell. By following this way of life, everyone is going to hell. And they made this society just like hell. Already now, you see people, all the Western difficulties, all the difficulties of Western life, they're here also. All the different diseases that were not previously there. Now so many people have cancer, heart disease, blood pressure, all these things. Normal, because of the Western way of life in which you have all modern conveniences, which means you don't do any physical work, and you get all these kinds of diseases, plus the whole unnecessary tension of modern life means that you get tension, and then after tension there's hypotension, hypertension, then neurosis, psychosis. According to the World Health Organization, 90% of people in what are called the developed countries. They require some medication or, or psychiatric treatment within their lives. 90%, that means everyone more or less. That means at least they, at the very least they take some antidepressant or some stimulant. In other words, in just, you know, without all using all these technical terms, everyone's crazy, that's all. <laughs> they talk about you should be a well-adjusted... Right away. If you're not well-adjusted, you're crazy. And, you, and the whole, that means everyone, the whole society is crazy. So if you are adjusted to that society, then you're also crazy. The whole, it's a complete madhouse. A complete uh, madhouse, you see, that the, the people are so stupid. But, oh, Coca-Cola, I saw on TV, Coca-Cola, okay, I should drink it. People are so stupid that they train you that you have to work hard and get money and get a big house. And, and people say, yes, I have to work hard, I have to get money. I have to get a big house. And they don't even once in their whole lives, they think they're very intelligent and they never even once stop to think, what on earth for? What's it all for? Why should I work hard to get lots of money? What for? So you can fly to America and have a bypass operation at the age of 40. <laughs> that means I'm a success. But you don't have to have a bypass of it, just live a simple life, chant Hare Krishna, be happy. Well, what, is, what are they talking about? Stupid. We don't want to listen to this. They reject what is for your actual benefit, you reject. And this foolish, stupid way of life in which everyone's absolutely miserable, everyone's either 
depressed or suffering hypertension or no one's happy and you're thinking this is a very wonderful way of life I see people as it's whole so-called sophisticated society everyone is completely superficial Every, everyone is simply showing to everyone else how great I am how you talk how you dress how you even your bodily movements everything is simply showing off to others I'm great I'm wonderful I'm so great I'm better than you I'm attractive to women or women I'm attractive to men it's absolutely superficial no higher intelligence what is the purpose of life and what is it all it's simply dog consciousness that's what it is the men are simply acting to attract the women and the women acting to attract the men everything their whole society is simply based on the same thing that the dogs do on the street that's all the dogs they come and sniff each other and it's the same thing going on and this is modern sophisticated society it's disgusting really so our message to you in India is that you're young still your brain is maybe a little bit fresh <laughs> if after studying 14 hours a day since the age of 3 still by the grace of God after getting all that garbage filled up in your brain for so long there may be some still something a little fresh left once you get past the age of 25 then you're just practically hopeless just you get entangled in thoughts of career and so many things career now they start at the age of 12 now thank you uh, 12 right 12 more like 2 they think the parents are already thinking the career for their children what my daughter should be an admiral or my daughter should be a, a fighter pilot the daughters also they want to be they're not content that the daughter could you know, simply live a natural life uh, what women are supposed to do according to nature their bodies are supposed to produce children and then they're supposed to look after them that's the arrangement of nature but modern life says that why, why have children better you be an admiral in the navy or better you be a, a space pilot or, or astronaut or this or they say all these things and what is that Bharat Ki Beti something I heard on TV I'm Bharat Ki Beti we should be fighting in the army and all that what, what do they want to put women in the army for it's <laughs> ridiculous it's ridiculous one of my god brothers is telling me in America they have always equal rights 
saw women and they should do every job. So they put them in the fire service and they said, well, they're very good. They train very well and they follow all the orders very nicely. The only problem is that they can't pick up the hose. <laughs> so when there's a fire, they go there. They very dutifully go to the fire, but they can't pick up the hoses. Too heavy for them. <laughs> so then, what's the use of them being a firewoman? They can't do that. They have a different body and a different function, but they're so stupid. They want to put women in the army and in the fire brigade, and they can't pick up the hose. In modern society, there are so many stupid, really stupid ideas. By the grace of God, you see a woman gets a body to be a mother. But then I think, well, I should be a software engineer. Why? Why? Traditionally, you see, they say this is an advancement of society. Women have extra rights. What is the right? You're already there. With one, previously one person in the family is going and working to, to bring something to eat. And now I'm saying two. You're thinking, oh, I'm great, I can have a career. It's simply cheating you. What career? That means you have to act like an ass also. You were saved from that. And now... The husband would go, now you, you're thinking, oh, great, I'm, I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead. You're just being exploited, that's all. I mean, the children are not properly looked after. Whatever, one or two children might get saved from your abortions because children are a nuisance and so many wrong ideas. The whole society, permitting children, permitting children, children, those who are demoniac, they don't know what is right and they don't know what is wrong and they mix it up and they get it all wrong. And modern society has got it all wrong. Everything is wrong. And we see that. People are simply frustrated, suffering. Even though they put on a smile, you go to a party, everyone's smiling. You're supposed to show a smile. Everyone's crying and saying, there's no friendship. Even in the family, there's no, there's nothing to Because there's no higher purpose from previously. As my wife would come together, have children, be responsible, look after their elderly parents, and they're the religious. They're living in a family, but they know we have our duty to God. And nowadays, family means that it's just an arrangement for sense gratification. Husband and wife come together, and young boy and young girl love marriage. That's our last marriage. Every boy is lost to your girl, but the girl is lost to your boy. So if they don't sense gratification, the sense gratification doesn't mean satisfaction. Sense gratification, competition, exploitation, rivalry. So in the home, because they do, in the home which is based on sense gratification, they lack cooperation. They simply. Competition, rivalry, that well, you, should, you should wash the plates. No, you wash the plates. No, I didn't wash the plates. No, I, I clean the floor, so you should do it. 
My wife goes under sometime. And, uh, and, uh, what's the use of this marriage anyway? Divorce finished. Why? Because in the very beginning, he was on the wrong basis. What if he's modern society? What marriage means? You marry or not? Sometime you get tickets, that's all. Are you single? Because you've been bothered. The rest of your life and the rest of your city. And no one is happy. I was miserable. And I think this is advancement. How? I'd like to introduce you to my friend. His name is Mahatma Gandhi. And they think, you know, I'm Pandit Nehru and this is Mahatma Gandhi. That's what they think. You can't convince them otherwise because they're crazy. So the same thing, people, they, you know, they have so much anxiety, depression, tension, no love even within their home. They're simply uh, hankering after more and more money. No idea of God. They, if you even mention the word God, they, uh, they start to pass stool and urine. They hate the topic so much. And, the, and the, the, they're suffering absolutely every moment of their lives. And if you tell, uh, you're suffering, say, No, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm very happy. They're crazy. They're ab- uh, crazy. Absolutely crazy. So... Youth of India, if you, are t- if you have any intelligence left, which is, it's amazing anyone can have any after being subjected to all this, from the time of birth, you're subjected to all this nonsense ideas. So if you, if you have any intelligence left, then start to think for yourself. That's what they say, think for yourself. And all the people who think for themselves, so-called, they all think the same thing. Have you ever noticed? I think for myself and they all think the same thing that yes we should all be free and liberal and do whatever you like and so many things so think for yourself means don't just be brainwashed by all these garbage ideas but think what is the actual purpose of life does happiness actually come simply by amassing more and more money and amassing little letters after your name. You work so hard for so many years, study, 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 just to get MD or some other letters behind your name. PhD. After swatting for so many years, now PhD. That's it. I got it. Is it really, is this really what life is all about? Obviously, if one has any real intelligence, he can understand that there is much, much more, there must be more to life than this. Simply then make your other, otherwise your whole life is like you're an actor on a stage, you're playing the part of someone else. Isn't it? You're just cutting a profile, you're acting a role. The difference is that in a, in a drama, the actor knows what he's he does his acting, but then he has his own life. But in modern life, everyone is just playing a drama. Yes, I'm happy. I'm a student. I'm going to have a great career. I'm going to have a great job. So everyone's playing a drama, but they don't know who they are. They're all crazy men. So we should understand who we are. What is the purpose of life? And for that you have to go to a guru. 
You can't find it out just by yourself. You have to go to Guru, and Guru means Tadvigyanatam Saguru Mevabhigacca. Guru means one who knows the knowledge by which we can come out of this illusory concepts of life that tie us up in this material world and cause us to suffer birth after birth. So Guru means one who gives transcendental knowledge. And those who are on the platform of gross materialism, when they hear the word transcendental, immediately they scoff. Because they are so foolish, they cannot conceive of anything beyond their foolishness. And they think that their foolishness is all in all. And they even praise others that the more foolish you are, the more respectable you are. If you have PhD, MSc, or that means, oh, very highly advanced. But when a really intelligent person sees that, he understands this is a certificate of your foolishness. That you spend so much of your time and life and energy studying a topic that is of no actual benefit to you. It is simply a symbol of your foolishness. So, one should understand that beyond this material way of life, material way of thinking, which is actually the cause of suffering, that there is the transcendental position which can be attained. It's not simply a myth or a bluff. If it was a myth or a bluff, then how is it going on in human society since time immemorial? And how is it that actually very intelligent people they take to this? Of course there are many foolish people who are cheated by cheating religionists. But we see in the history of India particularly, the most intelligent people in the history of India are who? Who are they? Jagadish Chandra Bosch? Pandit Nehru? No, no. <laughs> the most intelligent people are Madhvacharya, Jiva Goswami, Vallabhacharya, Ramanujacharya, Vedanta Deshika, Jayatirtha. Maybe you don't even know all these names. But these are the persons who have given such insightful and elaborate systems of philosophy to describe reality that there is no comparison anywhere in the world. Sometimes people ask, well, to me that you came from a Christian background, how come you took up this Hinduism? But on a superficial level this can't be understood, the answer to this. But actually if we examine, then Christianity Actually, it has basically the same teaching as Krishna Consciousness, if, if we see real Christianity. Because Krishna Consciousness doesn't teach, you go to church, say you love God and eat meat. It doesn't teach such things. But the basic idea is there. But philosophically, the depth of Vaishnavism, there's no comparison between Christianity and Krishna Consciousness. So, so much philosophy that even... In the Western countries, in the British Museum, there was, among all their looted manuscripts, they, a few years ago, they had a display of different manuscripts by the philosophical writers of India. So they had on display some writings of Jiva Goswami. And they wrote, 
Jiva Goswami, the greatest philosopher in the history of the world. Jiva Goswami is our, in our Gorya Vaishnav Sampada, he has given the systematic philosophy of Krishna consciousness. So these are not unintelligent people. These are the greatest philosophers in the world. But nowadays in this land of India, land of rishis, people are not interested in philosophy. They are simply interested in applying their intelligence to get a degree, to get a job, so they can live as a sophisticated fool. That's all. So our message to the youth of India is, don't be a fool. Don't be fooled by this modern so-called advanced way of life, which is actually sophisticated dog life, that's all. Dog life, because what is the dog's business? Sniffing the underside of another dog. And modern life, what is it based on? Simply how to get sense enjoyment, particularly Stri Pum Akarshan, the attraction between male and female, which is there in human society. But real civilization begins when this sexual impulse is controlled for the sake of attaining higher knowledge. Whereas in modern society there is no control. Simply as much as possible, as often as possible. This is the aim of modern society. And therefore it's no more advanced in the real sense of the term than that of dogs and cats. And we're thinking very advanced. So this is our message. Don't be fooled by this misleading society which simply makes you into an animal. You cannot be happy because you have got human intelligence and especially those who are born in India. They are Rishi Putras. Previously everyone used to know the name of their Gotra. So you're all descended from different Rishis. So you cannot be happy simply by living like cats and dogs. You will always be discontent and frustrated. To mitigate that discontent and frustration, you have to bring your consciousness to a higher level, to the spiritual level. That is possible in Krishna consciousness. So this Krishna conscious movement is not meant for fools. It is meant for the most intelligent people. Those whose intelligence has enabled them to come out of this trap of modern so-called sophistication and to come to the platform of understanding that my real goal of life should be to understand what is the absolute truth. Atato Brahma Jignasa. Having attained this human form of life, we should inquire into the absolute truth. That is the beginning. To ask this question, what is the absolute truth? That is the beginning of real, civilized, developed life. The answer is Krishna consciousness. Therefore our message to the youth of India and to everyone is, chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Why so? For that you will have to hear more, study more, understand this philosophy. It's not something that can be attained in a day or year. It requires development. One has to patiently take up the sadhana of Krishna consciousness. But the result is that by this practice, one will actually achieve peace and contentment for the first time in his life and the first time in many, many lives. And you can go on to become fully advanced in Krishna consciousness to attain the highest happiness of pure love of Krishna. 
So I'm going to finish the lecture here. Then if there are any questions they could be asked. But outside and Krishna people, they ask our opinion regarding what is going on in the Ayodhya. That uh, as you are a devotee of Lord Ramachandra and Lord Krishna, so what is your exact opinion regarding the issue, what is going on in Ayodhya? It's a complicated issue. <laughs> the basic issue is quite simple, that this is accepted as the birthplace of Ram. There was a temple of Ram there which was destroyed out of envy and spite by Muslims who built a, tem uh, built a masjid there. And from the religious point of view, a temple of Ram should be built there again. It's a straightforward thing. That if the thing is that in modern society they have all this concept of rights and democracy and it becomes very complex. But actually the issue is very straightforward. At the birthplace, then they say prove it's the birthplace of Lord Ram, prove there was a temple. So many stupid things. How are you, how are you going to prove? By, by what method will you prove? It's, a, it's a, accepted as a religious fact. If at all you're going to accept that there's anything in society called religion, then religion has certain axioms. Just like in Islam, they have Makkah as their holy place. So they wouldn't allow anyone to build a temple there. They don't even allow any non-Muslims there at all. So uh, the, the basic issue is quite straightforward, but then there comes the... Uh, there are so many political issues and social issues and envy and ongoing hate and so many things. The real, the best solution is to convert all the Hindus and Muslims to be pure devotees of Krishna. That's the ultimate solution. Otherwise they'll just go on fighting. Then if we make, uh, make them all into devotees, then we'll, we can make subcommittees and hash out our differences like that. Of course, if they want to call the Shankaracharya to establish a temple, that, is that actually pleasing to Ram? That someone who has no faith in Ram ultimately is the absolute truth, that he should be called? So like I say, it's a complex issue. But basically, yes, there should be a temple of Ram there. And if we are told to talk about fairness and rights and all this kind of thing, then the Muslims, should, they should concede that a wrong was done in demolishing the temple, but according to their religion, it was the right thing to do. So that we have two mutually incompatible schools of thought here. In Pakistan, it's taught that Aurangzeb was a great leader, and Akbar was a rascal, because he favored Hinduism. So, what can you say? In, in all the... Uh, What are they called? The, uh, the Muslim schools? What are they called? The, in all the madrasas, they're teaching the uh, they're teaching according to Aurangzeb syllabus, which is it's full of hatred only. What can we do? The thing is that they they've brought this concept of everyone should have their rights and all this reasonableness and all this with a with a group of people who don't they themselves don't believe in it. They don't, according to the 
And so you asked me something which is actually a, more a political question than a transcendental one, so we're talking in terms of politics. But the, the, the basic Muslim outlook in India, maybe not so much in other parts of the world, but, uh, is that uh, Islam should, by force if necessary, rule the world. So actually all this democracy, it's also, it's, ni- it's neither an Islamic concept nor a Hindu concept. And they're trying to solve everything in, in democratic terms, which is a Western concept. Actually we need one king, better than hundreds and thousands of useless politicians. Bring one king and sort the thing out. Any other question? That doesn't mean that we condone that uh, that one night in a Muslim village all the people are sleeping and then a a bunch of Hindus descend on the village and burn them all. That's why I'm saying it's a complex question. How to go about it? Because uh, if the Hindus try to do, then the Muslims, they'll come and descend on Hindu villages and burn all the sleeping people. And the Hindus retaliate like that. And then, you know, the question of Ram and what does Ram Bhakti mean, that's the, like the last thing on people's minds. It's just blatant hatred without any rhyme or reason. And horrible murders. So, as I say, it's a very complex question. We're dealing with unreasonable people on both sides of the question. It is okay <coughs> to say philosophically, but uh, when it comes to practicality, for example, I don't like uh, this modern civilization, but everybody around me forced me to go into this. So what, what is the solution? At least I, I want to withdraw from it partially. But that is what is the solution? Well, you are not forced to be part of this civilization. You can choose to stand aloof from it by taking up Krishna consciousness. That means you can either be a brahmachari and live in these hellish cities to preach Krishna consciousness, or you can be a grihastha, and you can also be a grihastha devotee in the city. But actually Prabhupada's revolutionary plan was that grihastha should live on the land, produce their own food, and in this way, this is the real revolution. Not guns or tanks or bombs. But you just, with the Prabhupada's revolutionary idea was, actually in this way Gandhi, he had some good idea also. That you don't get caught up in the modern industrial civilization, you produce everything in your home. But Nehru was supposed to be his follower, had different ideas. That we need factories. So that's Prabhupada's revolution. Live aloof from the society. Takes courage. Even if you live in the city, you don't have to subscribe to the values of modern civilization. If you live in the city, you may be doing some miserable job, whatever it may be. But you don't have to you don't have to align yourselves with all the bogus ideas of modern life. 
Any other questions? Actually, one of these books which is being going to be distributed now, one of my books is Dhammachari and Krishna Consciousness. So in the very first words of the books in the introduction, I write that the first thing is that human life, especially the male form, is meant for self-realization. And then in maybe the second or the third paragraph, I said that devotees of Krishna stand apart from the modern hellish civilization. We don't identify ourselves with this. Then, any other question? No. Okay. There's no other questions. We can wind up. Um, we are preaching against the Western civilization, but it seems to be spreading its uh, hold everywhere. So, is there any vision which the Prabhupada has given about how actually Krishna consciousness is going to spread in the 10,000 year golden era is going to That come? I just told. Go to the land. Simple living, high thinking. That was Prabhupada's vision. It's not much even discussed in our society these days. But Prabhupada said that 50% of my work is not done by not establishing these Varnashram communities. So you can imagine what a big job it is. It's not an easy thing to do, but it requires to be done. How will that revolutionize the world? We will be in self-sufficient communities. That means, yeah, we live on the land, you produce your own food, you don't have a TV, You don't have newspapers, and you chant Hare Krishna. If all the world does that, that won't be a revolution. What do you think a revolution should be? You have to shoot a few people? It's not required. Revolutionize your life. Even in the Vedic culture, everyone was not a devotee. So is it reasonable to expect that everybody in Kaliuga will become a devotee and everybody will go back to the land? Reasonable or not reasonable, we have to try for that. It wasn't reasonable to think that one old man could come to America and start a worldwide movement based on no illicit sex, no meat-eating, no gambling and no intoxication. Any reasonable person would have thought this is simply an imagination, a fantasy can't be possible. So, according to the material outlook, no, it's impossible. Krishna consciousness won't spread all over the world. But, there's one thing flawed in this logic, is that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and He has His own plans. So, what Krishna wants, that will come to pass. Prithiviti Hachi Jatanagaradigram Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's plan is that his name will spread to every town and village of the world. So we may be useless personalities, but we are not so useless that we can stop Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement from spreading to every town and village in the world. If we don't do it, someone else will do it. So I hope uh, the hostess are preaching and we generally uh
ask them like uh, have you uh, ever ask yourself this question like who you are what is your relationship with god and how you can be happy so this question no more appeals them and uh, they, and even if somebody uh, uh, shows some interest in that his own partners laugh at him and again he is lost like so that's preaching preaching means to extricate people from the lion's den of maya to pull them out from the very mouth of the lion is not easy so what are the tricks for well how did you come <laughs> Someone preached to you, right? And then when you... Sh- did you immediately, as soon as you heard it, you thought, okay, now I'll drop everything and immediately take up Krishna Gandhi's? Maybe you did. Is it? You did. Maki so. Not everyone's like that. Preaching means you have to have patience. You have to go on and on. Preaching. And again and again. Some will come. Some will go. Some won't come at all. Some will start to come and then they'll go back. But we have to have faith that when we are preaching Krishna consciousness that actually we are only instruments. It is our duty to present the message of Bhagavad Gita in a manner that may appeal to the people without changing the message. But at the same time we should know that our duty is to try and the result that people, they may take it or not take it. And by the grace of Krishna, if we try, some people are coming. So many people are sitting here today. It's not that they were just wandering on the street and then it started to rain and they came in for some shelter. <laughs> they came here to hear something about Krishna. That means their attraction to Krishna has been awakened. Why? Because someone went and spoke to them about Krishna. Maybe not once. Maybe, maybe they had to speak many times. Anyway, if people aren't interested, you can always... With most people, unless they're very impious, there's always at least one platform on which they can take interest in Krishna consciousness. It's called prasadam. <laughs> so that is very effective. And that, the effect of giving prasadam is that gradually, by taking that, people will also become interested in hearing about Krishna. So unless people are very impious, they'll always take prasadam. So if they're not interested in listening... at least give them some prasadam. And after some time, they'll also take interest in hearing. And preaching is never a waste of time. At least you heard, you speak to the people, chant Hare Krishna. No. At least you heard, they heard the name Krishna also. It may be that after many years, they take it up. Just now you're announcing about the book distribution. You're thinking, oh, we'll distribute so many books, people don't read them. And they will do, in course of time. Maybe not immediately. Maybe immediately, maybe not. But Prabhupada was very strong on this point, that you should know that there is no more direct method of preaching Krishna consciousness than to distribute my books. They will have their effect. They are having their effect. We have to have faith. But if, if we think, I have to go and preach and I have to do something, then we'll be disappointed. Because we cannot do anything. We can only become instruments in the hands of Krishna and the Acharyas. And try it. That's all. Thank you, Mr. Maharaj. Uh, you have told that the main purpose of life is to know absolute truth. And 
said that uh, studying like uh, phd msc is uh, like uh, useless but does it mean that uh, one should not study uh, or go for higher education or higher education what does that mean higher education <laughs> you can do if you like you can do for chan hari question also what's the most important thing at the time of death phd won't help you and even in your lifetime it won't help you very much you can do people are so stupid in india that they think you're a better person if you have a phd so if you want to preach krishna consciousness it can also be an advantage because they won't people tend not to take you seriously unless you have some educational qualification so to cater to other people's stupidity you can also do that <laughs> maharaj uh, if in medicine we see many people coming in a very very uh, emergency kind of situations people are you know in a great pain and you know, yeah. have to elevate, elevate them from that pain when speaking to the mic i can hardly hear okay, okay so like in medicine we in emergency wards we yeah. see many people who are in a great pain Yeah, and the and doctors are laughing. The doctor. <laughs> I see, and the doctors, the doctors are flirting with the nurses. Someone's coming in with their body, more, more of it outside than inside. And the doctors, they've seen so many, they're just flirting with the nurses. Yeah, go on. <laughs> But like, there is, you know, like, even in the Vedic culture, there were Vaidyas, like... Not so many accidents like this. <laughs> the the whole way of modern life you see just most accidents are on cars so it's a very unnatural thing to be hurtling along at 80 kilometers an hour and then there but actually there are more deaths in homes than on the roads at least in the west i don't a lot of deaths on the roads in india but in the in the in the west there are more in homes just like kids drink some bleach some toilet cleaner or electric shock by electric shock it's still very common in india so these kind of things weren't there there might have been more common things like uh, getting bitten by a snake that's still very common in bengal especially or uh, eaten by a tiger or such thing not that common but there weren't so many things and also in the villages just like snake bite there'd be some fakir or some tantric you go to and they they'll put their mouth on and they'll suck it out this the snake poison or they'll call the snake and the snake will come back and put his teeth in the same place and then take out the poison again you don't believe in all these things because you're a modern doctor but actually it's true <laughs> one of my disciples just just got jaundice i was giving the example the doctor told him to go to the hospital and the doctor just teaching just cheating because they don't have any cure for jaundice So you can go to some local tantric and he'll give you some leaves with some mantras and cure you in three days. And the modern doctors, they don't believe in it, even though it goes on all over the place. I told him that in Bengal, in Vrindavan, there's one tantric who does it in three days by one method. And in Bengal, the tantrics, they're mostly Muslims, actually. They do it by another method. They cure it in three days. So there must be something here. I told 
I told him that you go, you see this devotee, local devotee in Juhu, he's from a village background, so they must be going, you go and ask. And they knew in Bombay who's the local tantric who does this. And uh, he cures so many people. And the doctors, if you tell them, we don't believe it. Because we're scientists. And this, according to science, this cannot happen. Even though it's happening every day. Otherwise, why are dozens of people going to such to these tantrics? Because it works. There are so many things. Bone setting. Someone breaks in Andhra somewhere. Some village. near Somewhere near Tirupati, there's a village. You go with your broken bones and then you go and then you go and see them and then you go away and it's cured. No plaster sitting for three weeks. That's it. Finished. Cured. They have some method. I don't know what it is. They know. They have their family tradition. There are so many things. But this uh, so much accidents and all that, that wouldn't be in traditional life because some of these modern inventions are very dangerous actually. Okay, so Hare Krishna, we'll finish the questions and answers session here. This modern medicine, you see, it's, it's very gross, actually. It, it mostly deals with, with treating symptoms rather than causes. Just like, for instance, you get boils. So they may cut it, or usually they give antibiotics, which actually doesn't help very much. It just, and after some time you get boils somewhere else. Or they'll cut it. But actually what is the cause, that means there's too much heating within the system, there's poison within the system. So that should be cured. The real cure is to change the diet and to take some purifying herbs that treats the treats not simply the the boil as a symptom of imbalance within the system, but they simply treat the symptom, which means that again you'll get boils, or it will come back in the form of another disease. So it's actually very gross. It's not a very advanced system in medicine, although they say it's advanced because they don't know anything better. It's very gross also, giving very powerful drugs which disturb the whole metabolism. The dr- you see in herbal medicine, traditional medicines, the, the medicine they give, it's balanced within nature, which is given by God. The herbs are there, and you mix the herbs, and then the deleterious effect of of the certain drug that is already within the herb itself it's already offset so you don't get any bad side effects whereas in modern medicine it's it's just like uh, using a cannon to shoot a mosquito <laughs> just like antibiotics very strong and upsets the imbalances it 